Support for Lillo Podcasts comes from listeners like you, who are masking up, maintaining social distance, and taking care of one another. Another episode of DC4U, a little special episode where we're going to be reviewing the brand new Wonder Woman 1984 streaming now on HBO Max and in theaters, I guess, if you want to actually go there. But I mean, you got it straight from, you know, you can watch it straight from your couch. I don't know why you do that. But anyway, here we are uh, to do a little review. Uh, on DC for you because uh, as we all know you guys loved the last Wonder Woman episode that Todd and I did on the uh, amazing George Perez run Uh, so we decided we'd do a little more Wonder Woman and uh, conveniently enough she got a new movie out so uh, I I think uh, Todd and I have both seen it and uh, yeah we're gonna we're gonna just jump in and do this thing Uh, but we couldn't do it without uh, without having a special guest on because this is kind of a special episode so uh joining dc for you once again uh from the casual geekery it's mr stephen ferrari welcome to the show stephen i i like to think of myself as a super guest as opposed to a special guest he is the super guest that that's what you will henceforth be known as but sweet of of course we we can't do this show without the illustrious co-host and the co-owner of this Lilo Podcast Network, and that is Mr. Todd Weber. How are you doing tonight, Todd? You know, for a guy who uh, just flew a transatlantic uh, flight with a state-of-the-art jet, but only knowing, you know, World War One technology, I-, I did pretty well. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, that's a that's a reference to things that will be discussed later, and I definitely have some thoughts on that as well, Todd. But uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, overall, before we just get into the review, I know that all these review shows tend to save their overall grades for the uh, the end of the show, but I thought we'd do a, maybe a little inverse of it this time. And before we get into the spoiler side of it, uh, for people who may be listening up to now and thinking, oh, well, this... This might not be a spoiler review. It will be. It's going to get heavy into that. But before we get there, I kind of want to just give the people uh, just a quickie couple sentence uh, overarching review of it and uh, a uh, grade out of 10, like a number out of 10 uh, review from everybody at the table. Um, I will I will go first and just say that the movie is uh, overly long. Uh, in fact, too long for uh, for what it's trying to accomplish, which is honestly not very much, and that's that's really disappointing. It suffers from uh, too many villains, as some of these movies do, but it has plenty of charm. Visually, it's very impressive. Uh, I even found the chemistry between a lot of the characters and the leads to be very very good, and that really saves the movie in uh, a lot of big big ways. So overall. 
middle of the pack of the uh, the DC Extended Universe films, I would rate this one probably about a uh, a soft 7 out of 10 for me. So You are a generous, generous, generous individual, Russell Sellers. I am. It's, uh, is this a sliding scale for DC movies? Um, because, you know, we can talk about some of the best DC films there were. And I guess Wonder Woman's right up there, the original Wonder Woman. Oh, certainly. But, but uh, yeah, we, we've got this film universe where there hasn't been too many standout films. And by default, this is, is going to be, I guess, the top half of them, just because there's so many very, very bad ones. Uh, still, I'm, I'm looking at it as a little more holistically as far as, well, is it what I expected, uh, the, the hype? Uh, how does it rank to compared to some of my other favorite superhero movies? Am I, you know, like I said, my expectations for it. I'm I'm kind of stuck at four. It's a four for me. Not the worst movie. It's not awful, awful, but it's lower tier. I mean, uh, it's like me, my junior year of high school, barely scraping by with a C minus on everything. <laughs> Uh, that's that's a, a great succinct way to put it, Todd. Uh, Stephen, uh, your quickie review and uh, number grade. It was not as good as I had hoped it would be. It was better than I thought it would be after I saw all of the reviews online. And I think it is uh, no better than a six. And that is... I'm going to go right in between the two of you. And you know what? That's that is perfectly fair. That's what. Uh, if nothing else on this show, we are good at making sandwiches. So, mm. so there that is. Now, now that we've got that out of the way, everybody's letter grade is in. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, you want to go watch it. Uh, you should probably go do that before you get into the rest of this podcast because uh, here there be spoilers. We are going to get make sure make sure you have a blanket. You're comfortable. It's yeah. going to take a while. Yes, it, settle in. It is all of two and a half hours plus a uh, mid-credits scene that uh, I actually found kind of delightful. So stick around for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yes, yeah, settle in. Definitely strap in. And uh, we will not keep you here that long for this podcast. But from this moment on, here there be spoilers. So let's just get uh, right into this movie i think that everybody was expecting something a lot bigger and better than uh than what we got i know that um the hype train for this uh for this movie got rolling out of the station very early on and with an all-star cast and with the returning uh patty jenkins to uh, uh write and direct the movie alongside uh her co-writing partner from the first movie jeff johns I think we all kind of expected this movie to be a lot uh, more than what it was, but uh, a lot of it really is just kind of meandering. And I think that that is its its biggest flaw, is that it just kind of slogs its way from one scene to the next, and you wonder half the time, what's the point of even even all of this? You know... um, and that's that's the danger of the prequel, and I think that's my biggest criticism of this movie is it should not have been a another prequel to uh, Batman v Superman and Justice League. This should have just been set in the modern day. Go ahead and skip over all this. It makes 
no real sense and even contradicts some of what we already knew about this version of Diana who allegedly walked away from mankind a hundred years ago, but clearly she didn't stick to that because she's running around in Wonder Woman garb in DC in full view of the public. So I've got it. It's hyper time. Yeah, that's the only explanation that makes sense. Um, we're just contradicting every bit of their universe at this point. I mean, could they say with any clearer uh, statement that they do not give a fuck about anything that Zack Snyder has done before this? I, I think they, the, there was just an interview in, in uh, somewhere. I think maybe it was Variety, maybe it was somewhere else, where they basically said that. We don't care. Yeah, they like they, they don't they, like take your con- take your continuity, shine it up real nice, like and, and shove it because <laughs> this is the, the we're not going to deal with it. We're not going to bother with it. And I don't think that that's the worst idea. Honestly, I like the I I I personally thought that the setting it in 1984 was fine. Like you, you want to have you don't want to be tied to whatever Zack Snyder was doing whatever the modern stuff was, and Diana is has enough of a history that you can do that with her. It's just that they went out of their way to say to to just do different things than what was going on in the universe. If there previously, or you know, in the future, I guess. <laughs> and it, it it's just such a an obvious like screw you to people who care about the content care about continuity care about you know uh where things are going or how they fit into a timeline that it's it's impressive but just how much of a middle finger it was um yeah good no go ahead you finish your thought yeah, I, it it could have been it could have been a very good idea. The '80s is an era that's just like rife for stuff like this, and they could have had so much more fun with it than they did. Oh, and, yeah. and they just they they just kind of like just made a made a movie like you know yeah. the, the the opening scene I thought was so clearly like designed to be an 80s action type action comedy type scene the, the mall scene or the the mall the, i'm sorry the zero. mall scene the, the second opening right like yeah, yeah yeah opening number 2 opening scene number 2 um that once uh, you know it, like the goofy movements and the the slow mo and the um the 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 silly fight scene it, it was just it was just so perfectly eighties, and as I'm watching that, I'm thinking, all right, they're going to lean into this. This is good. I like that. And they got out of the mall, and it was like that never happened. Beyond this, it was a completely different film once they got out of the mall, and it, it was a little jarring. You know what that opening scene really reminded me of? Uh, Superman two. Superman three. Uh-huh. Yep. The op- yep. the opening. I was scene. thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, it, it was the opening of Superman three with the uh, the level of weird and like just silliness that was happening. You know, that's that's what it really struck me as. And as we move, yeah, and you're right, Stephen. As we move away from that scene, it's like the tone of the movie shifts, and it's 
I mean, it's fine because I think that honestly, even though that scene is uh, is fun overall, there is still enough like eighties nostalgia uh, thrown in throughout this movie that you could honestly do this movie without all of that. And you would have maintained uh, Diana's cover, uh, or at least pretended like you were trying to, uh, right. which is something this movie does not do. Uh, it uh, no. it it does it very uh, lackadaisically uh, within that scene, even uh, when she takes the tiara off, throws it around, and knocks out all the security cameras. I'm like, all right, yeah, I get it that you know people aren't exactly walking around with you know camera phones at this point. Uh, Right, but in the '80s, security cameras like that wrote to VHS tapes, and yeah. those are still around. You yeah, know, is she going to go out? And, and, yeah, she going to get all these waited, tapes. She waited a good, and she waited a good five, six minutes of fighting in front of those cameras before she knocked them out. Yeah, exactly. It's so like it's not like it, CCTV. All it was, all it was, was property damage for the sake of property damage. At that point, like, yeah, her image was out there. Yeah, and I mean, and it's not like you couldn't do a stealth style Wonder Woman, but that would involve her not being in her, you know, bright red and blues, and yeah. and that's something that clearly Warner Brothers is trying to avoid at this point. They want their movies to be big, bright, and colorful, and right. for for its part, Wonder Woman 1984 succeeds in that. It is actually one of the more colorful and like very. Uh, by visually engaging of the uh, DCEU movies to date, uh, I I find it uh, at least you know visually interesting, and it it keeps my attention. And I, I will say this: even though the movie is very long and too long, even there's plenty of scenes that I would uh, have either shortened or cut completely. I never really felt like the movie was uh, completely boring me to the point where I checked out. Uh, there were mm-hmm. there were times whenever there was a scene, with the exception of like maybe one scene, that I definitely did not feel like had really much to do with advancing the plot. And it's when um, Barbara Minerva is going shoe shopping and like, like buying the dress in the store and is like walking around in heels. I was like, okay, this is... This is going on for a couple of minutes, and how many times can she turn around in the mirror? I don't know. This movie is going to tell me, though. And the thing is, like every bit of dialogue in that scene winds up repeated in almost the very next scene when she's at the party. And I felt like her reveal of the, uh, the big gala that they're going to would have been more impactful if that had been the first time we saw her. Uh, dressed like that and walking in, it also would have shaved off about two or three minutes of this movie. <laughs> so, well, I for one was checking my watch or my phone a lot towards the second half of the film. Like, uh, how how long is this? And I, I know I wasn't the only one in the world who was doing that. It felt it was long, but it really felt long, particularly on Christmas morning when you got other stuff to do so maybe that was my fault for choosing to watch it after we'd opened our presents we weren't going to do anything else other than no it was right after our zoom call we did a family yeah. zoom call with my parents and i don't know it just kind of would not end um and the end was itself which we will get to was not as satisfying as i had hoped it to be it was a lot of hand waving so I agree. It was beautiful to look at color-wise. You know, uh, they've gotten away from that. Oh, the Snyder films are all just shaded black and white, dull palette, 
joyless. You aren't going to hear joyless said about this movie. So, no. So there is that. <laughs> no, I, I can't say that it was. Like the the humor in the movie largely works. Uh, I find Kristen Wiig uh, kind of hit and miss in, in a lot of things, but in this I felt like she was kind of surprising and, and how well I felt like she captured this version of Barbara Minerva. I, I felt like her evolution over the course of the movie was uh, the most interesting part uh, as far as like character development. And then once once we got past the first half hour, 45 minutes or so of Kristen Wiig doing enough nervous laughter <laughs> to make me think it was a 1230 SNL sketch, um, she got a lot better. But that that introduction to her was just awkward and painful. Uh, I kind of disagree with that. I, I felt like that was I, it was uh, working for me. Uh, not no, it did not work for me at all because it, it felt you like know, old eighties. It just felt like a, an old eighties nerd uh, coming into their own kind of thing. The the part of the movie that was hit and miss. I can't decide how I feel about this version of Max Lord. Like there are parts of me that think this is really brilliant. It's a uh, and a very interesting take. Uh, Pedro Pascal plays it with absolute commitment. That is something that I think you cannot take away from from the actor in the role. He is committed to it, and he he plays the bit. He he knows exactly how he's going to do this uh, from the time that he's you know being the sleazy businessman, uh, you know, channeling every bit of uh, 1980s and 90s Donald Trump, or well, modern day Donald Trump too. Uh, all the way to the moment where some of his like humanity kicks in and his, even when his desperation uh, is taking over as his, uh, you know, his powers are like giving him life, but also killing him. That's all of that. I think it, it works uh, pretty well, but there are times in his dialogue and then there are uh, other moments where he's wildly shifting in these tones uh that I found his performance to be a little jarring, but I, I cannot deny his commitment to it. How did he know so much more about the Dreamstone than any of us in the audience knew about it? There, that was that was my biggest thing. Go like I, I'm sitting there just through most of the movie, going, "Wait, why does he know about this?" Yeah, like, exactly. just two lines of dialogue could have cleared yeah. that whole thing up, and they just skipped over it, and we're just supposed to accept that. You know, this is a well-known thing, while a renowned gemologist and somebody who's been around for 70 years has no idea what it is. And there, like, there's a lot of tell-don't-show in this movie, yeah. uh, and that, that is another like, major criticism I have of it. Uh, in particular, I, I'm jumping – we're jumping around a little bit here, but the moment when she turns the jet invisible – uh, which Todd alluded to earlier with a, uh, a a guy who hasn't flown a plane since 1918 suddenly knows how to fly a, a modern day fighter jet. Uh, surprise! But uh, Diana, in a little throwaway bit of dialogue that you do have to pay attention to to catch that she had been trying to figure out for the last 50 years how her father made Themyscira invisible, and she did it once with a coffee cup, but then lost it. Right. Um, I was like, you know, 
I could have used a scene in this movie of her doing that. Just uh, the coffee cup, yeah, or just you know, or it, it just was clumsy because then she she described it, or she you know she said I tried this, but we've never seen it, and we've the the, the point to me is we've seen her in movies that take place 25 years later extensively in, in the case of justice league and yeah. no mention of this particular power and maybe another power that we should have known about um, that she should have had 25 years later too. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm really bogged down with continuity and I know yeah. Steven is too. Yeah. I mean, she, it, it was just one of those out of nowhere things She's that so we, we, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, she wears that white dress, doesn't she? Uh, ding, ding, ding. But, yeah, the, the whole we're going to tell and not show, that is that is just beyond the most frustrating part of uh, any movie like this is we're going to waste time shoe shopping, but we're, we're not going to show us some like pivotal character moments. And, boy, she sure could have used that invisibility power on Justice League to, you know, make the whole movie, <laughs> make the whole movie disappear. But that's that's a whole other bag of cats. Now, now we've we've talked about the uh, some of the performances in this movie, but one that we're kind of uh, jumping over, and it's a big uh, sort of plot point in the movie. As we've mentioned, there's a a thing called a Dreamstone that Max Lord is after because it grants wishes, but like the monkey's paw that they mentioned over and over again in this movie, as mm-hmm. it, because you can't seem to get it the first time, is that uh, when you wish on this thing, it gives you exactly what you want, but it also takes from you the thing that you hold most dear. And just about everybody in this movie, in fact, everybody in the whole world, as this movie leads you to believe, makes a wish that uh comes true but they lose something of themselves it's a it's a little bruce almighty if you will like imagine evil bruce almighty but in diana's case when she makes a wish she brings steve trevor back to life sort of uh he (laughs) randomly appears in this other dude's body basically his soul his mind essence whatever uh takes over some guy's body who then like randomly finds Diana and then they recreate the, the last thing he ever said to her with, uh, with the watch at the end of the first movie. And suddenly he transforms from that dude into Chris Pine, or at least as far as Diana's concerned. Where did that dude go? (laughs) I don't know, but I saw a great meme of, uh, the, uh, the Disney movie soul just came out the same weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you, uh, if you've seen that with the uh, the uh, belt, the little conveyor belt into the afterlife, uh, somebody Spoilers like, for soul, uh, yeah, the conveyor belt into uh, the afterlife had that dude beamed onto uh, the belt. Okay. <laughs> and I, I was I was cackling at that earlier. I thought it was great, but uh, it's a little bit of a quantum leap scenario, if you will. Uh, and Steve, did they have him under contract for two movies? They had to use Steve Trevor, or do we just do we have to get him out of the way for Wonder Woman to ever, ever develop in the future? I mean, what's the whole the point of it? I guess yeah. other than you know the to show that what's her greatest wish? Because I don't know, it doesn't necessarily jive with Wonder Woman for me. Yeah, it's a it's a little out of sorts, a little out of character, and. Uh, 
you know, it's it, it's one of the one of those things that if you take this just as a standalone movie and try not to think too hard about continuity, maybe it's okay, maybe it works. But if you if you get into what we've already established about this character in three other movies, uh, it really does kind of fall flat. But not not to say that Chris Pine isn't great as Steve Trevor, and it is really nice to have him back for the little bit that he actually does in this movie. He's he's not really you know here to do much. He helps out in some of the action scenes, uh, and he does have that little bit of dialogue near the uh, near the end of the movie when he's finally being like let go, like when he's going to head back to the afterlife, I guess. Uh, but other than that, uh, the vaguely defined afterlife. That yeah, the, he's just you know, I'm I'm, I'm so mad now. I'm not <laughs> I'm not really this mad at the film, but no, it's just little little things like that. And that right? uh, yeah, it, it's little stuff. It's a little. It's a lot of little stuff that can add up and feel bigger than it actually is. But overall, honestly, the movie is entertaining. The movie does exactly, honestly, what it probably originally set out to do. And if it hadn't been for all of this horrible shit that has been going on throughout this year, uh, and we would we would have gotten this movie a lot earlier, uh, it it probably would have come off as fine. People would have uh, probably been a little kinder to it. But it is certainly not. Like the the next great superhero film or epic, maybe it should have been, maybe it even could have been. But as a movie, it is fine. It is entertaining. It uh, is not one that's unfortunately for it going to be you know easily rewatchable because of the sheer length of it. Mm. But well, I mean, and we should probably, Stephen, you should. I want to hear more of what your your take is because yeah. I'm kind of. I'm really bringing us down. I, I, I'm making it out to be <laughs> I don't, I don't like a worse movie than it is. I don't know that I'd be able to bring anything up. I, I mean, I, <clears throat> just to go back on some of the other things, some of the stuff that we talked about, Pedro Pascal saved this movie from being like a, a two or a three out of ten, personally, for me. And, hmm. you know, I, I, I thought that he was fantastic and... I'm I'm a sucker for a good Max Lord story, and I thought that I, I thought that they kept the spirit of the character. If not, you know, like he's clearly not true to the letter of the of his comic book counterpart. But the the spirit was absolutely there. He's a con man, and he's looking for power. And I I thought he did a great job with it. And on the other hand, I, I really could have done without Chris Pine. I would have preferred that. They found a different way to bring this movie forward than to bring him back because he just felt so pointless in this entire thing. And the whole fish out of water bit drew started to grate on me after about the third costume change, I think. You know, once he started wearing the fanny pack, I was done. I just couldn't. Oh, oh, ha ha. 80s clothes are funny. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. That that bit definitely went on too long. It was like another example of a scene that out uh, that wore out its welcome. Uh, I think that there was a minute there in the movie that I really thought they were going to pull Eclipso out on us uh, with the whole like uh, the Dreamstone being uh, connected to Diana or connected to uh, 
the old gods in some way. Whenever she like picks up the the ring that the the stone used to sit in and sees the language of the gods, and she freaks out about how uh, this was created by the god of lies. Uh, I was like, I kept thinking that they were setting up the third movie's villain. Yeah, it, it felt like that, and I also wondered at that point would they would they have it be revealed that this isn't Steve Trevor at all, but instead is the God of Lies and disguises him uh, and really flip the script on her like that? Because yeah, that would have pro- been better. That probably would have <laughs> been, been more interesting. Would have been a more interesting twist than uh, oh, it would have been so much more interesting. And I mean, the the biggest thing that had me. Uh, questioning what was going on was using the the dreamstone because I just kept I just kept flipping back to Sandman. Yeah, uh, and the Sandman, Doctor Destiny, like there, there's oh, so many versions. Oh, we got to talk Sandman sometimes, Stephen. Yeah, of yeah. Abs- absolutely. Um, there's there's just that one iconic version of what the, they're talking about, and it had nothing to do with no. with that. Yeah, it's and it just it, it had me so frustrated throughout the entire thing. I thought there's a lot of tease to like longtime DC fans thrown throughout the movie, but very little of it has any payoff. Yeah, yeah normally not- an Easter egg like that mm-hmm. is like supposed to be, you know, something something as a bonus that makes you happy. Like, oh, I I, I recognize, I get that reference. That's great. You know, maybe not yeah. everybody that's watching the movie does. But the way that they handled them here was just, again, it, it was just tr- spitefully trying to make to do it poorly. Uh, and it, it's really out of out of sorts or kind of out of character for Patty Jenkins and Jeff Johns to to not have something that's got a little more uh, substance, a little more meat on the bone, uh, because they both have a track record of turning out yeah. pretty great work and even great work together. That first Wonder Woman movie, uh, I would say, is you know probably the top or near the top spot of all of these uh, uh, current crop of DC movies. So it's it is disappointing. It is very disappointing that this one is not better than it is. Uh, but one part or one aspect of this movie that I think it excels in uh, is once again in the action sequences. I felt like all of that was done very well. Uh, I, I was really entertained by the uh, the Egypt uh, action scene. And I thought the the final fight, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here and say that while I don't like completely hate the the final fight in the first Wonder Woman movie. I do find it to be the weakest part of that movie. Uh, that everything kind of devolves down into a CGI fight fest. One hundred percent. And yeah, uh, we it's almost a fact, universally accepted fact at yeah. this point. Yeah, it's like, it, it it dragged it dragged the first movie into from being great to just very good. And this final like confrontation between Diana and Cheetah. I enjoyed that more as a final confrontation between uh, heroine and villain. And I actually thought that the resolution resolution as such as it is with Max Lord uh, having to renounce his powers, renounce his own wish, and undo everything that he had done uh, was, to me, a resolution that I felt better about than I felt about the final fight with Ares in the first movie. Because... 
at least here, I have some semblance of an idea of really what happened to this character and what is going to happen to him going forward. Uh, because in present day DC, nobody knows who Max Lord is. Uh, he's he's a no one. He loses everything. And in the first Wonder Woman movie, Ares just kind of disappears and that's it. And uh, honestly, I was left there like, okay, that's that's it. But yeah, but, very Snydery kind of thing. Yeah, the, it, the most Zack Snyder of, of uh, Wonder Woman was was the whole Ares battle. I don't know. This was felt to me effects wise, they were I don't know if they were cheapening out or trying to um, veil themselves from some criticism by having it at night and underwater for much of it. Um, I don't know. I don't know about the effects at the end. I did like some of the action. I still had, you know, everybody's making cheetah jokes. You know, she looked like Jatara or something from Cats. I thought she looked fine. Problem is, for me, I think I saw Batman Returns far too recently. Ah. Where Michelle Pfeiffer does the best version of this particular type of character ever. Um, and where, where you go from a mousy secretary or, you know, your personality changes and, and grows and yes, that's a very 80s, 80s kind of thing. I think I wanted more from... I liked the Barbara Minerva stuff more than I liked the uh, I'm evil and I'm going to be just like you. I kind of like the middle por- portion of her, you know, her phase two before she she uh, took the, the last wish to become the Apex Predator. Shout out to RKO. Yeah, um, I, I think... I don't know how I feel about the very end, about the uh, the final fight, the final, I'm going to undo all your wishes because you, you love me and I'm kind. You know, that's uh, the, the, that bit of Wonder Woman, that power, that, that hand-waving, as I called it earlier, I'm, I'm just, it feels too convenient to, a lot of people wouldn't have given up their wishes. I'm saying, that's what I'm saying, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that that's, that is one of the more unbelievable sides of it, but uh, a lot of these things, especially just, especially in the middle of the eighties, the, yeah. the it's it's very clearly called the me decade, right? Gordon Gecko. Nobody's, nobody's nobody's sacrificing anything in nineteen eighty four. Like, come on, it, it's it's even less likely then than it would be now. And really, the only person they even had to get to give up their wish was Max himself. Uh, right. If he'd have done that, that pretty much undoes everything because it did uh, and the only the only question I had there at the end was we see a lot of people saying that they renounce their wishes but the one person we don't see say uh, that line of I renounce my wish was Barbara Minerva she lost her cheetah form she kind of reverts back to to what she was but that look to me says, no, nope, she's still pretty much what she was. She didn't give up any of that. Uh, she just isn't an apex predator anymore. So I'm like, maybe we're going to see her again. Uh, it was the it, it was the wish to through Matt through Max that went away when he when he renounced everything. Yeah, but the original the original one. Yeah, that that would have to be like an anti Diana. Right. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all of that. Well, and that leaves you open to be in a injustice society or injustice league if they ever do that. If they ever, 
if they were hinting at that. But I don't see them using her again in a third movie. Do you? Uh, I think that Kristen Wiig is too big a name and Cheetah is too much of a major Wonder Woman opponent to to rule it out entirely. I, I, I imagine that they could work her in if she's willing to come back. And... You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see when this all uh, finally shakes out, yeah. like how this movie ultimately does and how its success is really measured because it's uh, it's a really strange time. But uh, but as we uh, we already know, Wonder Woman 3 has been uh, greenlit with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot coming back. Uh, and it will be set in modern day, like post-Justice League. Uh, thankfully, no more, no more prequels. We're going to actually move... Uh, into the modern day, and it does sound like this will be the end of what they're describing as a trilogy. So, uh, likely, I think will be Gal Gadot's last time as Wonder Woman. Uh, and that's unless Zack Snyder has more reshoots, <laughs> uh, which she says she wasn't part of. But uh, in in any case, I, I do think that there is a little twinge, even in this movie, that it, it kind of feels like they're just trying to. Uh, wrap up some of these current versions of these characters so that they can hurry up and get to the rebooted universe that they, uh, that I think Walter Hamada probably really wants to create. And even though there are parts of this DCEU that work, and I think Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman is one of them, uh, you're going to have to just restart the whole thing. If you're, if you're going to do it, you can't just like pick and choose at this point. So, right. Do well, we- I mean, and that's a shame because I think, I think Gal Gadot is probably the best fit to the character that that she's playing right now than any of the other DCEU stars, maybe other than Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Zachary um, Levi as Shazam was good too. It was very good, um, you know, the, but maybe like the tier below where Gal Gadot is. Yeah. And that's, Although I guess I guess I I do I do really appreciate Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn also. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, for me. That's uh, like judging the current crop of DCE movies, the the ones that have come out after Justice League. Uh, I I would say that this one to me was a, just slightly better than the uh, the Birds of Prey movie that came out. But oh, I wouldn't. Uh, that, that that's just where I'm landing. Okay, but but it, but it is not to me better than say Aquaman or Shazam. I but I put both of those movies ahead of it. But I I would I would put Aquaman, Shazam, and Birds of Prey above this one. I, I mean, you know, it, at at least it's better than Green Lantern, I guess. Like, <laughs> I, it, yeah, it's a lot like Green Lantern to me at times. Honestly. Uh, it never got that bad to me. Never, not, <laughs> not even close. Uh, it, okay. it, uh, it was still above the uh, like Batman v Superman theatrical cut uh, because at least this movie's plot made sense, and uh, and nothing will ever be as bad as Suicide Squad. I, I, I just can't. Uh, so that's those are kind of my my personal rankings on it. But but yeah, there there's a lot to 
to like still in the movie. The chemistry between uh, Godot and Pine is still there. Uh, Godot and pretty like pretty much everybody in this movie has chemistry with each other. I, I never felt like this is just too wooden and too unbelievable for me to accept these two characters like interacting with each other. Uh, and as I said, the the visual like visually and the action sequences, all of that worked. There's just unfortunately uh, too much time on the clock for two for the plot that they're telling. All of this could have been done probably within like two hours, two hours, 15 minutes, and it would have been way more effective. Uh, but other than that, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm pretty okay with this movie, which is the biggest disappointment in itself. Uh, I, I think that's where we all kind of landed. There was this movie should have been better. It is mediocre. It is not offensively bad, but it is not great. Like it should have been. I think we know why, they were good with putting it out, not delaying it any longer. Yeah. Like, you know what? If we had kept delaying it and people said, oh, I went to see it when theaters finally opened back up and everybody's well, and we go, that was it. We waited two years for this. This is pretty pissed off. <laughs> with, all, with all the delays, and I think maybe they would have been able to make a better movie out of it. Mm-hmm. Just, well, just maybe watch it again and, and put together a new cut that maybe made more sense. I, I, I cannot believe that they, they pushed this movie back so much and it was still kind of like a jumble that was just, they, they like picked up random pieces of, of film from the floor and spliced everything together to make everything go. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's so many ways they, that that's the thing that to me, or one of the things that's so disappointing is yes, it was super long, and yet there were things that they could have easily exchanged or explained or condensed or uh, th- th- there was explanations we could have gotten and that they substituted, as you said, with, with other things. There were just not enough 80s in this film for me either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Musically, if you call, if you call the movie maybe. 1984, there's got to be more. Where's the Olympics? Stuff. Like summer of '84, it was a big Olympic year. You know, the, the soundtrack alone should yeah. have been so much better. Captain Marvel did it so much better with their retro '90s music, and uh, they could have referenced uh, other '80s movies that came out. 1984 was a huge movie year. Uh, not, and Warner Brothers even had a huge hit that year. They had Gremlins out that year, and not. Not one reference to it. No Terminator reference. No Karate Kid. Nothing. No. the the cultural yeah. The cultural references were really kind of relegated to the cars, the hairstyles, and the the suits, and uh, that one action sequence that uh, that looked like Superman three. That was about as eighties as it got. Uh, and that 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 in itself is uh, is kind of irritating. Uh, not the most irritating thing to me in the movie, but uh, certainly worth pointing out. And that's, like I said, it's not the absolute dirt worst uh, of films, but we we could have and probably should have gotten something better. Yeah, it's not like it's a latter-day Kevin Smith movie. (laughs) Uh, Nobody wants... Uh, 2020 or 2020 twin twin 
Kevin <laughs> Smith. Like he, uh, he really shouldn't be making movies anymore. He's a good guy though. Um, yeah, like he'd be the first to say that though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that makes it that makes it a little better. Yeah, he is. He, he's a good dude though. I like Kevin Smith. Um, but all that said, uh, one last thing to to touch on uh, is we get a uh, pretty big cameo in this movie in the uh, in the mid credit scene when. Linda Carter appears as the uh, Amazonian hero, Asteria, uh, and gives a nice little wink uh, to the camera. Of course, uh, for those who've seen the movie, you know that Asteria wears the, uh, is the first hero to wear the golden armor uh, that, that you've seen in all the trailers and that uh, uh, Wonder Woman uses to, to take on Cheetah at the end of the movie. Uh, and honestly, that story of Asteria, I think, should have been told as the opening of the film instead of that mm. uh, weird contest that uh, young Diana was participating right. in. Most, mostly because we needed to get Robin Wright back in this movie one more time. Uh, well, they, they were trying, I think part of it was, let's hammer home this, uh, heroes are always honest and true. They were trying to hammer that home and hammer that home. But, you know, if, if Themyscira was... Themyscira was was Starfleet. Young young Diana would have been commended for original thinking, creative thinking, and so not dinged for. So that's a Star Trek two reference. I don't know if anybody gets that, but it. I did like the the. I like your idea, Russell. Um, instead of kind of wedging that story with with uh, I can't remember Asteria, the beginning, the intro scene. That's actually a tournament for her. Right. Or uh, yeah. some kind of I didn't pick that up until the second time I saw it where they're celebrating near the statue of the of the golden armor. And then she references it. We see the eyes, but they didn't remind me of Linda Carter's eyes. So I'm, I'm glad they kept this uh, under wraps. That was that was wonderful fan service. And uh, I'm good with it. 100 percent good with it. Yeah, it was it was a uh, it was fine. But uh I think that final scene is going to annoy people so much when Wonder Woman 3 comes out and Linda Carter has nothing to do with it. Uh, uh, I'm very much with you there. Uh, that's, oh yeah, that's, that will be annoying. <laughs> but uh, as a little bit of fan service, it was a nice little wink and nod there for uh, for longtime fans. But uh, but that's going to kind of bring us to the uh, the end of this review. Uh, tell us what you guys thought of it. What did you think of Wonder Woman 1984? Tweet us at Podcast on Twitter. You can also find me at Russell underscore Sellers on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, tell us what you thought of the movie. Uh, Todd, tell them where they find you. Yeah, uh, on Twitter at Todd Weber Guitar. And uh, I hear our friend Steven wrote a review, so I'd like to hear about where you can read that review, folks. Yes. Uh, see my full thoughts on the movie at thecasualgeekery.com and you can always find me on Twitter at casual underscore geekery and you know same same goes for that throw in that uh, Twitter handle when you're telling us what you think and let me know too absolutely uh, go and check out all the cool stuff on casual geekery Steven's a good friend of the show and his site is a really fun place for all things geek culture especially comics and i love the uh, the music column there as well so uh with all that said thank you guys for joining us on another episode of dc for you and we will see you all next time
Happy New Year. I can't walk in these heels. <laughs>